Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. Since the autumnal equinox in September, our days have become shorter. And here on the East Coast, outside the nation's capital, the signs of fall are everywhere, along with reminders that an annual ritual is approaching. Hello. Oh my, what are you? Can I guess? Thank you. Welcome. This weekend, I'm attending a neighborhood Halloween party, and for many years, I had a standby black pointy hat, a wig, and a cape. Now, if you're a regular listener, you'll remember I grew up in a monotheistic tradition and encountered lots of negative views about all things associated with witches, magic, and pagan practices. In fact, as a kid, I had to beg my mom to let me participate in trick-or-treating. She gave in but had reservations, and many of her friends in our immigrant Muslim community were just opposed to the holiday and the practices associated with it, like begging for candy. So for decades now, dressing up has not only been fun— It has felt like a way to reject fear. But this year, I'm rethinking my comfort level with my go-to costume. Dressing up like a caricature of a witch feels, well, wrong. That's in part because I've gotten to know several young people who identify as Wicca. And what's abundantly clear, witches are not well understood in American culture. There is a couple misconceptions, like devil worship or things like that, which of course no one actually does. But when they come in and they actually see that we're basically just a bunch of very kind hippies who want to have some fruit and have a good party in the woods, then everyone will be happy. In fact, practitioners of witchcraft are part of a larger umbrella of contemporary pagan or neo-pagan religion. That's right, religion. Today, we'll be exploring the lives of those who call themselves witches, pagans, Wiccans, Druids, and everything in between. And it's a diverse group with an array of different spiritual practices and beliefs. We have whole traditions that believe in different gods. We have traditions that don't believe in gods at all. We have traditions that might use spells and magic and others that don't. But all of them find immense spiritual meaning in connecting to these traditions from long past. And some of their practices are gaining popular appeal. This is in sharp contrast to the fears that persist, that somehow being a witch is tantamount to worshiping Satan. That's the biggest misconception, and it just has no basis in reality at all, that they are satanic or demonic in some way. That's Sarah Pike, a professor of comparative religion at California State University, Chico. She says there are all kinds of stereotypes associated with practitioners of modern paganism. And it's not surprising that in many monotheistic traditions, the word pagan was, and often still is, used as a derogatory term. You know, the result of that belief really has been a lot of persecution against pagans, and that continues. You know, people losing custody, you know, losing jobs. You know, there's still a fear of that. And I think the second one is a kind of trivialization. It's almost the opposite. It's like, oh, they're just playing at, this is just theatrical. They're just playing at this. It's silly. It's it's not, you know, a real religion. Whereas it does have all the elements of religion that we think of, myth and ritual. In short, 
Contemporary paganism is not something to be dismissed from the current American religious landscape. We'll hear more from Pike in a bit. But first, what attracts practitioners? I think I feel safe in saying most people in paganism are converts. That's one convert, David Dashafin Keys of the Washington, D.C. area. I go by Dash because there's a lot of Davids in the world and there's very few Dashafins. Keys, who uses the pronoun they, grew up in a Jewish home and was even bar mitzvahed. We celebrated Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we went to services for the less well-known holidays. Like we were, we were Jews the whole time. But Keyes says their connection to the Jewish tradition was damaged after a particularly embarrassing incident at a service. While reading from the Torah, they forgot what vowel sounds went with which characters. I made it about six words in, failed miserably, burst into tears, and the rabbi oh, or the cantor no. like sh- swooped in to, <laughs> to save the day. That was sort of the point that I started not going to services mm. as much. And I think some of it was just, you know, early teenage rebellion and a lot of embarrassment. But that sort of opened the door a little bit for me to explore because I sort of was like, I don't know that that felt good. Even if it was just embarrassment, I'm going to go see if I can find something else that feels better. Even before that, though, I struggled with an understanding of God in the monotheistic sense when the religion was constantly using male pronouns. And yet the theology was saying that God's beyond gender. So Keys went looking for a new tradition. And then a friend introduced them to Wicca. And he said, you should really read this book. I said, okay. It was Scott Cunningham's Wicca, A Guide to the Solitary Practitioner. And so this is a book that was really geared toward opening up Wicca. And it told you what to do. It told you how to, how to think, how to behave. I think the book is considered pretty much one of the standard sort of Wicca 101 For Keys, they were drawn to a spiritual pagan tradition inspired by the pre-Christian world, specifically ancient Greece. So instead of finding spiritual inspiration in a scriptural source like the Bible or the Torah, I look to the cultures of usually sort of Mediterranean areas. So for me, though, Greek mythology has always been fascinating and important, and it's, it's an interesting topic just to learn about. But... For me, I actually believe in these gods and goddesses. I work with these gods and goddesses. I have shrines to them in my house. And so that's where I gather my spiritual inspiration. That's where I gather the the meat of my spiritual meal. Keys even keeps a small shrine on their fireplace mantle. To Hestia, who's the goddess of hearth, of home in Greek mythologies. He says they also appreciated the emphasis on personal empowerment in many pagan traditions. For instance, they point to the difference between prayer in traditional belief systems and spell work in pagan practices. Prayer always involves intercession. There's always another entity out there to whom you're praying. Whereas in spell work, it can just be you. It can be your own personal power, your own self-empowerment. And... That was something that I didn't always hear in other faith practices as I was learning about spirituality through high school. You didn't encounter a sense that you, the individual, are powerful. You, the individual, can lead. But perhaps the most important pagan concept Keyes learned was the belief in the interconnectedness among all people. We are all in some way neighbors. We are all in some way family, if you go out far enough, that There's no way to make a change in one place that isn't affecting the other place next door. It's sort of our version of of the golden rule. Not do unto others as as 
you would have them do unto you, but we're all connected. We're all neighbors. We're all important. Be wonderful to each other. Because so many pagans are solitary practitioners, and because their numbers globally are so small, Keyes says it's often hard to connect with other pagans. Most find community on the internet. But Keyes was lucky. They found the Firefly House. It describes itself as a, quote, pan-pagan organization and tradition of Wiccans, witches, polytheists, and magic workers in Washington, D.C. The group started about a dozen years ago in Ohio and later moved to D.C., establishing a coven. But Keyes explains that covens, or gatherings or associations of witches, are pretty big commitments. And many people coming to the Firefly House, like Keyes, wanted something a little less intense, but more formal than just a meetup group. So we decided to create what we now term uh, the outer court or the initiates. So the initiates, we basically volunteer to organize events, host meetings maybe at our houses or to arrange places at libraries and things like that for our workshops and do a lot of the logistical work of keeping the organization going, uh, running our education classes, hosting our ceremonies, even authoring, writing the rituals that we might do at a holiday ceremony. Pagans celebrate eight major holidays, part of what is known as the, quote, wheel of the year. If you can imagine a wheel with eight spokes, each holiday is one of those spokes, like Halloween. For pagans, it's not about the costumes and scary movies seen in popular culture. Key says it's actually a sacred time to connect with one's ancestors. Speaking from a Wiccan context, because that's what I know, Halloween is is one of our holidays. We usually refer to it as Samhain. It's solemn. It's a little bit less celebratory. So Samhain is a feast of the dead. It is the day on which the veil between the living and the dead is the thinnest. So you have a lot of ancestor work going on. In the Firefly House, we build a huge ancestor altar. We ask initiates to all get together. We put pictures and names, both our actual like chromosomal ancestors, but even people that are just important to us that have passed on, what we call ancestors of blood versus ancestors of spirit. And we just build this huge altar to all of these people and we light candles and it looks fantastic. Of course, as Keyes mentioned before, the way these holidays are celebrated can differ between pagan groups or individuals. That's because of the great variety among practitioners. Some are polytheistic. Some follow a nature-based spirituality. Some are even monotheistic or atheist that practice in a pagan way, have a pagan sensibility about life, but don't believe the supernatural side of things as much. As you can see, there's no straightforward definition of the word pagan. There is no singular contemporary pagan identity. So it's hard to make generalizations about modern paganism. So almost anything I say, there might be some exceptions. So these are going to be general trends that I'm talking about. That's Sarah Pike again, the professor of comparative religion at California State University, Chico. She's been studying modern paganism and all of the practices that fall under it since the 1990s. Pike tells me via Skype that one of the few commonalities that does exist is that modern-day paganism revives pre-Christian spiritual practices. The biggest ones are sort of Wicca and witchcraft, but after that I would say the Druidism, those are recreating pre-Christian traditions of the British Isles, and there are many different groups in that tradition. And then Slavic paganism, so again really focusing on those countries in Europe, Uh, Norse paganism or Asatru, 
which is, you know, drawing from the Eddas, those Norse sagas about Odin and Freya and those that pantheon of deities. There's Italian as well. Pick almost any country uh, in Europe particularly and look at its pre-Christian tradition. There's probably a group that's reviving it or reimagining it. So how did the modern pagan movement begin in the U.S.? Pike explains. The modern pagan movement started in uh, around the 1950s, but really got underway in the 1960s and 70s here in North America, particularly. And that was influenced by the environmental movement and the feminist movement. It's really inclusive of many contemporary movements since the 1960s or so that are recreating, reimagining, reconstructing to some extent the past. Almost all of them are earth-based, not every single one, but for the most part, they're earth-based. And so they create rituals and ceremonies around the cycles of the season. So that was an important part of those pre-Christian indigenous traditions. Obviously, they were living more closely to the land than we do today. And so that that awareness of the changes of the seasons and then trying to map that onto the changes in, in human lives, that's been really important for most of these traditions. Are there things that connect the various communities that you've just described? Most of them are polytheistic to some extent. Some of them do have an idea of a, of a great goddess, for example. Um, some have a god and a goddess together. But most of them do believe in either a pantheon of deities or that there are multiple spiritual beings. Some might be more important than others, right? So for the most part, they are animistic religions. So they believe that the world around us is animated by spiritual power. There are a few groups that would describe themselves as being monotheistic, but it doesn't tend to be a god. That's rare. It's it's more likely to be a goddess. And that's partly an influence of the feminist movement. So you have some feminist forms of witchcraft or Wicca in particular that really focus on that goddess. But again, they tend to acknowledge that there are other spiritual beings out there. So while I wouldn't you know narrowly classify them, ne- you you know, as all polytheists, they tend in that direction. And and I guess that's the way that I think of this broad tender umbrella of, of modern paganism, is that there are tendencies and trends that many of them share that connect them. And so that would be that animism, that sense of spirit all around us. It would include um, the focus on the natural world, the emphasis on the cycle of the seasons. Um, that's common to almost all uh, modern pagan traditions. Talk to me a little bit about how it is organized mm-hmm. in the United States in particular. It is very decentralized, especially in the U.S., but really pretty much everywhere. There tend to be networks and federations that might cooperate, but there's no central body. I mean, these traditions, many of them have no founder. Many of them have no central sacred text, as Judaism, Christianity, Islam do, and even Hinduism, which is very diverse, has some texts that are shared there's nothing like that in modern paganism. So much of it is is based on archaeological records and reconstruction and reimagination. Um, so there's no central organization in these networks. I mean, let's say there's some ethical issue that comes up. Um, there tend to be discussions on the internet. Um, they do have gatherings, festivals that many will attend from different traditions. So some things get you know discussed there, but there's no sort of decision-making body that says, well, you know, all pagan groups must be you know must believe this or you know must you know not do this. I mean, they they fall across the political spectrum. 
they're really small local groups that can develop their own sort of sense of, you know, politics if they're interested in that. Many groups are apolitical. When I was doing research at contemporary pagan festivals, I mean, it's a very diverse community, even in, in, you know, those people that would come out to a festival, say, you know, 400 people, among them would be people in the military, some conservatives, some not, there would be nurses, there would be folks in computer jobs, and there would be, you know, massage therapists and psychics. So it's, you know, very diverse in terms of career, in terms of, of politics. Is there a growing interest in modern paganism today? And if so, what do you think is attributed to that growth? One of the trends that's happened is the increasing number of Americans that identify as spiritual but not religious and may blend, you know, some aspects of pagan traditions with other identities. I mean, I've met people who were Catholic and pagan. I mean, they weren't necessarily following the church's teachings, but they were still practicing some form of Catholicism in their personal lives, but incorporating some pagan elements. So I think that's happening a lot, these sort of hybrid and multiple spiritual identities, particularly in in the U.S. I would say, from what I've seen, it's holding even in terms of a membership, a self-identified, I'm a pagan. It's pretty static, maybe some growth, but a lot of growth in that the sort of blended identities that I'm talking about or, you know, people that might call themselves pagan with a small p but don't identify as Wiccan or Druid or a specific tradition. As comparative religion professor Sarah Pike explained, many people from a variety of religious backgrounds are curious about paganism, want to know more about the tradition, and in some cases are adopting its practices. Coming up, we'll meet a group that's trying to lift the veil on paganism while creating an open space for practitioners to find community. We take you out to a pagan ritual next on Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. <laughs> 